It's great seeing all of you tonight. I enjoy getting to hang out and walk around and uh, visit with some of you at dinner. I just want to say I appreciate I appreciate a lot of things about you, but one of the things I really appreciate is your your kindness, your friendliness when people come in. Uh, I, people ask, you know, is it easy to come in? Am I going to meet anybody? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think you will. And what, what I, re- I just really appreciate that about you. So if you've been around for six months or a year or longer, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. If you've been around the last couple of months, you probably um, are starting to get incorporated and meet people. And so I, people ask me, like, what is it? And I said, I think it's just because everybody still feels new. Like, even if you've been here six months, you're still like, yeah, but I've only been here six months. So I just appreciate that. Please continue. Just be that person. If you, if the Lord moves you out of the city of Atlanta and you go to some other church, one of the things that kills churches is when new people walk in and all they see are the backs of the regular people. And then you walk in, it doesn't matter how the service was. It doesn't really matter a lot of other things. What matters is, yeah, but I don't think I'll ever get in with them. And so I just appreciate that you are very willing to turn around and meet people and bring them in. Please keep doing that. And I hope that's been your experience if you're in the, uh, in the new category. Hey, we're in the book of Exodus. We're looking at Jesus in the Exodus. So overlapping the life and ministry of Jesus with the events that took place in the Exodus. Turn to Exodus 3. It's one of the more seminal chapters in the book of Exodus. I would put Exodus 3, Exodus 12, and Exodus 20 all in that category. Exodus 3, God is going to introduce himself. He, I don't know if you know this, up to this point in the Bible, we do not have a formal introduction of God. And so we're going to see that. God's going to introduce himself. When we get to Exodus 12, that's the Passover. So much foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do for us. And when we get to Exodus 20, that is God with his own hand writing down 10 commandments that embody the entire law in 10 commandments. So if you ever wanted the cliff notes of the 600 plus commands in the Old Testament, that's them. It's those 10. Every one of those commandments fits in those 10. And so I would put all three of those chapters side by side. Probably Exodus 33 as well, and that's where Moses sees God because no one has ever seen God, and Moses sees him. And so those are all incredible chapters. We're in the heart of it tonight. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through four movements of the chapter. Uh, I'm going to talk about how God approaches, how God invites, how God introduces, and how God promises. So there's four movements in in this chapter that we're going to look at. The the first of those movements is going to be how God approaches. Just so you know, just to back up, if you were here the first week, we looked at the life of Joseph and uh, and how God calls us to necessary deserts. For some of you, you're going to look back on your life and Atlanta will have been a necessary desert. God brought you here, but it was just for a time and for a purpose. And then you get to the first part of Exodus where you realize this is not where I need to be. And you begin to call out to the Lord. He awakens your heart. And it's kind of existential because you're like, yeah, but God brought me here. But it was not your home. And that's the metaphor for Egypt. It is a place that God takes us, but it is not our home. And so then you get to, to Exodus 1 that we looked at last week. 
And that's where the people cry out for freedom from bondage. And so this week we're looking at God's answer to the people that cried out. The answer is going to be found in this self-contained forest fire we call the burning bush. So let's take a look. Exodus 3, the first six verses. Will you do me a favor? Will you stand while I read this out loud for us? I'm reading from the ESV. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to, to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place which you are standing is holy ground, verse 6. And he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. Father, would you speak to us tonight through your word? Lord, would you give us a deep understanding of the way that you encountered Moses and how it may be that you want to encounter with us in a very similar type of way, Father, in a super unsuspecting way, Lord. And so, Father, would you just move freely in our lives and in this place? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, Moses is a shepherd. Uh, he Think about it. He started as a Hebrew baby, and then he was in a wicker basket, and then he was floated down the Nile. Next thing you know, Moses basically grows up as uh, a prince, a prince of Egypt. Disney took a little deal with that one time, and so he grew up as this, like, prince of Egypt. And then Moses has this threefold, uh, this threefold encounter with justice. And so Moses intercedes between a Hebrew and an Egyptian, and he kills the Egyptian, hides the body, goes back the next day, and then stops another fight between two, uh, between two Hebrews. And th then they're like, you're the guy that killed the Egyptian. Are you going to kill us? Now Moses is on the lamb. And the way that he meets his wife, well, he basically beats up some bad shepherds. And so Moses is this threefold, we see this threefold example of how Moses is a man of justice. He's also a man of quick temper. And so we had this, we got this guy who's like, yeah, he grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth or whatever they had in Egypt. He grew up with that, but he also wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And, uh, and so now Moses is like, turn the page. He's, he's probably pushing close to 80 at this point. And so we fast-forwarded a bunch in his life. So he's, he has moved on with life. And he's, uh, he's, he's like, well, at that point in, in the world, that would have been like middle age. But Moses, is, is, he's a shepherd now. He doesn't have on the Egyptian garb. He doesn't have on the eye makeup. He's like, he's like a man of the land. And so he's got his flannel on, and he's like walking around with his stick and his sheep or goats, and he's out in the desert. And he's just a man of the, he's a man of the land. He's got a wife. He's got a little family. He's, he's moving on. Those days of being a rebel rouser, they're far, far in his past. You know, he's, he's at that point in life where he's like, yep, 
Let me tell you about when I grew up. Let me tell you about that time the Pharaoh got mad at me uh, when I took his chariot or whatever. Like, you know, he's like, he's telling like stories about way back when, but he's a changed guy. That's what we see going on right now. He's the son-in-law of Jethro. We're going to see Jethro later in the book of Exodus. Jethro's a great guy. Jethro is, uh, is super wise. And Jethro's actually a priest. And now it never says who he's the priest of, but most historical sources would say that he married into a priest who served God, the same God that is God the Father, not one of the weird Egyptian gods. Like he was like the God. And so Moses marries into this family. So now he's like a preacher's son-in-law. Like what a transformed life that this guy has. That's what we see at the beginning of chapter three. Moses, if you look at the second half of verse one and into verse two, Moses led the flock to the west side of the wilderness to Horeb, the mountain of God. And when he came to that mountain, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not burned up. So Moses sees what we would call today a theophany. It is when God manifests himself in a visible way to a person to where they see God, but they're not quite seeing God. And so Abraham has one of these moments. A lot of the prophets have these moments, but God is showing up in this burning bush. So he has this theophany moment where he sees this bush. I love how the, the writers, we think that Moses probably wrote Exodus, that he's the most credible person for this. So how through the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote about his own encounter. I like it because he's not trying to save face at all. Here's what happens. Moses said, verse three, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is that bush not burned up? And so Moses, a simple man, he, uh, he's like, this is, you know, you think about it. Every day had to kind of be the same, right? Like I took the sheep out and I brought the sheep back. I took the sheep out, I brought the sheep back. Like it's kind of, there's just a lot of repeat. And so Moses, this day, he's like, sweet, look at that fire. That's cool. And so Moses like goes and he checks out the fire and, and he's like aware enough to know, okay, if this was a lightning fire, it would have already burned up. I don't know if you've ever burned a Christmas tree. That's a wonderful thing. One of my dad's friends, when he was a young man, he, uh, my, my parents, it was like, my parents had just got married and this couple had just got married and they became buddies. They all had like little kids. And uh, he, he one day, his name's Roger, not my dad, this guy. Roger, and I'm not covering up for my dad. His name really is Roger, and he's not my dad. My dad's friend, Roger, one day at the end of Christmas, Christmas is over, it's the first part of the year, he's got the tree, and he's like, what do I do with the tree? And then he saw his fireplace, and he was like, it burns things. So he put the tree in the fireplace. You can imagine what happened next. The living room enjoyed that tree fire. So did the fireplace. It was a pretty incredible moment. But that's what happens, especially out in a desert land like this. This tree should have just, boom, been burned, and that was it. Moses goes over, and it's very interesting. I think at this point, Moses probably thought, I am approaching this tree. But the problem is the tree was approaching him. Because as he gets closer, when Moses, verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. 
This is a, a really important moment in the story. This is what Brennan Manning, who is a, a former thinker of God, he's passed away now, but Brennan Manning would have called this God ambushing Moses. Moses thought, I'm going to go check that tree out. But in reality, God was checking him out. Moses thought, I'm going to get close and see this thing. And as he got close, I can't even begin to imagine the surprise that would have happened when out of the burning bush, a voice calls out to him. And not just any voice, but the voice of God. And not an inaudible voice, but a voice that says his name, not once, but twice. This isn't Moses approaching God. This is God approaching Moses. Moses had no idea when he, walked, when he woke up that day that it, God was going to approach him out in the wilderness. And some of you have had that moment. Maybe, maybe tonight is your night. I've actually been praying that this would be some of your nights, that God would ambush you tonight. That you would be surprised at what happens as the night goes on. That you would be surprised. You thought you were just coming in and you thought it was you who brought you in, only to find out that it's been God who's been waiting to ambush you. So Moses, ambushed by the Lord, answers back and he says, here I am. And then God says to him out of the bush, don't come near. You see, at this point, he thought, I'm in control. I'll get as close as I want or as far as I want. I'll do what I want. And then God flips the table and says, no, 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 you're going to do what I want. And so you stop right there and take those shoes off. This is holy ground that you're standing on. Now, Moses is Egyptian at heart, right? That's really where he grew up. In Egypt, there's lots of gods. I know he married into a father-in-law that was probably a priest, but I just wonder if Moses was like, what God is this? And I think as we see the story play out, he is wondering, what God is this? And what's God's first response to him? He says, looking at verse 6, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. You just wonder if in that moment, like the murder of the Egyptian popped up in his mind, or maybe the way he treated his wife, Zippor, that morning, or maybe something he had been thinking about as he was walking through the woods. Maybe it was just all kinds of stuff all at once, all in conjunction of, I've been told to take my shoes off. This is holy ground. There's a bush that's being burned that should be burned up, but it's not burned. And all of it happening in this whirlwind around him. And he realizes, I should be dead. And P.S., that is what's so amazing about grace. As soon as you come to the realization of who you are in light of who God is, we should all have this moment of, I'm afraid to look at God. We should all have that incredible fear, that incredible sorrow, that embarrassment. 
This is a culture of shame and honor that most of the Bible is written in. And in America, we don't have much of a culture of shame and honor. We have a culture of right or wrong. But maybe we can borrow a little bit from history here, and maybe we can embrace a little bit of that shame and honor culture. And it is good for us to have that moment of, I just don't even think I belong here. That moment of shame standing before God. It is good for us to have that moment. And so the Lord approaches Moses. And then he doesn't stop there. Because once God approaches you, and I hope he approaches all of you, once God approaches you, it is not just to hold a mirror up and show you the sin in your life. It's not just to hold a mirror up and tell you how you've been messing up. No, he doesn't, wait. He wouldn't, he doesn't need to waste that time. We're all sinful and fall short of his glory. No, when he approaches you, when you have that moment where you know it is an encounter with a living God, Something incredible happens, and it happens all over the Bible. This is not a one-off. This is a thing you can count on. If God convicts you, if God gut punches you with something in your life, if God gets right in your face, if God comes after you and ambushes you, and you thought you were just going to have a great day, and then all of a sudden you're face-to-face with the living God, he does this incredible thing. And it's different, way different than all the Egyptian gods, and it's way different than all the gods we have today. He then invites you to join him. And this is incredible. Look at verse 7. It says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who were in Egypt. Let's just pause right there. You can imagine Moses is like pretty self-absorbed because that's what pretty much, that's human nature. Like, oh boy, I'm so sinful and I got this stuff going on and I shouldn't have killed that Egyptian. And maybe you're not thinking that, but anyway, like he's, he's got this moment and then God starts talking about other people. And I, I wonder if Moses just had to adjust for a second and was like, I, I can't even believe that we're having a conversation. Now you're talking about other people, like what's happening? And so the Lord says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know they're suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, this is the kicker. If you're an underliner, underline the first word in verse 10. Here it is. God says to Moses, come, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the incredible thing about the Lord. When he approaches you, yes, you should have that moment where you realize, I do not deserve to stand here. I'm on holy ground, and I don't deserve to be face-to-face with a living God. We should all have that moment. Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, said Isaiah, when he saw a vision of the Lord. Like, we should all have that moment. But then this is incredible. The Lord doesn't come to you to stick his finger on you and just press you down and make you feel terrible. The Lord comes to you because he wants to redeem you. He wants to pull you out of where you are, and then he wants to invite you to join him. 
I've told you about the Bible study that Heather and I have enjoyed so much, and it's an, it's an old Bible study. People are still buying it. They, like, can't quit. They can't discontinue it because people are like, I heard that was good, and people keep buying it, but it's called Experiencing God. The whole, the whole backbone of the Bible study, Experiencing God, written by some Atlanta guys, the Blackabees, the whole backbone of that study is this idea that God is moving and he's got a plan and a purpose, and he is moving, and he invites you to join him. So stop praying, God, what's your will for my life? And start praying, God, what's your will? And what you're praying is, God, what are you doing? Where are you going? How are you moving? And how am I supposed to join you? Not how is God supposed to join me? That's just self-help. Like, just take that out of the Christian section and go put it in the other sections. This, is, this idea is God has a plan and a path and a purpose, and when he comes into our life, he invites us to join him on his plan, his path, his purpose. And Moses, this man who is keen on justice, has been invited into God's plan to help draw out the Hebrews from Egypt. I love verse 10. Come, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, another first word to underline. Moses' response. But, and that's what we always say. But, like, if I break up with him, I'll never find someone. We'll just clean up our, like, sex life and stuff, and we'll just, like, get better and that's what we'll do. But if I quit that job, like, I, I won't be able to, like, save as much and be as good of a, a steward. And, like, then, like, I won't be able to help my great-grandmother and things. Like, we just come up with, like, list after list of but. And then we start to justify, did God really say that? Like, did he, does he, does he really want me to go and, like, help do this thing? And so first, we put the brakes on. And then we begin to question. So Moses questions, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What a stupid question. He's like the prince of Egypt. Who better to go to Pharaoh? Like, you know the language, you know the customs, you know the culture, like, you know the guards, like, you know the stuff, Moses. Like, it's, it's just a dumb question. And when we throw in the but, it's usually, what follows is usually just dumb. But the Lord, he's gracious, and so he just continues his fire thing and, uh, and listens. And so Moses says, you know, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the children of Israel out? He said, but, and then God says, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Spoiler alert. What mountain do they go to? And there's like the Ten Commandments and there's a golden calf out in front of it. It's here. He's in the very place that God is going to bring him and a million or so other people. And it's like Moses. He, he promises it. Moses, you're not even going to lose your life. Like you're going to make the journey. It's going to work. Moses is not done with his like but moments He's getting there, and God is gracious with him in this. So God approaches 
And once he approaches, he then invites. But before he's done, uh, when he's done inviting for him to join, he's not going to leave it there. God is then going to introduce himself. And this part of your Bible, I don't know if you had those books when you were a kid, like the pop-up books or the books that had like the little doors that you would open and you're like, what's behind that little door? Like I used to love those books. I mean, they're just, maybe I was just a kinesthetic learner. Maybe I just like pictures. But if you know what I'm talking about, those books were the best. Like you were like, what's behind that? And it didn't matter how many times you saw it, you were just like, let's do it again. And so those are the best books. And the pages were super thick. You know, thick books intimidate, but those pages had a lot of meaning to them because they were stuff on the other side too, more doors. And so... If your Bible, somebody needs to make a Bible like that, and this is where you would put one of those doors, when God introduces himself. And it would be very cool. You would just be like, ta-da. Like, it would be like this incredible moment of like, there he is, introducing God. And you would open it up, and then you would see this next section. Verse 13, Moses said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, well, what is his name? Then what should I say to them? So Moses says, hey, I know a bunch of gods. I can rattle off at least 10 of them to you. What do I tell them is your name? And the Lord says, I just think the Lord set that question up. I think he was like, I'm glad you asked. Well, let me tell you, first time in the whole Bible, like this is the big deal. This is the first time in the whole Bible that God has said, somebody asked my name. I don't know, I'm just going to pause right here. When you, start, when you start supervising people, people stop asking how you're doing, and they tell you how they're doing. Like, and so you'll all experience that. You'll have these people that work for you, and they'll be like, let me tell you what's going on with me. And you're like, I'm glad you asked. So this is happening, and that's happening. So my first taste of like having folks that I was supervising, I kind of got thrown into this role. And there wasn't like two people, because I was used to that. There were 63 people. And so 63 people, and I didn't know everybody's name, and people just told me how they were doing and how I could help them do better. And so it was like everywhere you walked. In fact, I did, I, this is terrible, I left my phone back there, but I would occasionally, I can tell you this, it's okay. I would occasionally, this is really bad, I would walk around the hall sometimes with my phone up to my ear and there was no one on it. <laughs> like multiple times I did that. And so it was a really bad moment in life. But anyway, I did. And I was like, like, that's kind of lying, isn't it? I do. I apologize. Yeah. But I definitely was like, yeah, the thing. And so one day a lady asked me, a lady who I, I, um, she's just this older, wise woman. She said, Thomas, how are you doing? And I didn't know how to answer it had been so long since somebody asked that. I said, I said her name's Marsha. I said, Marsha, it's been so long since somebody asked that. I don't, I don't know what to say. And I just, I tell you that story because there's been so many people that have interacted with the Lord. And Moses is the first one that I found in the Bible that said, what's your name? I love that about Moses. And I think he was asking as a clarifier, I know a bunch of other gods, but like, what's your name? And then if we had the right kind of Bibles, we would open the doors and we would read what he says. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, Moses had to have had a moment where he was like, okay, this is complicated. He actually says two names here. And the Bible Project has some great videos on this. They can summarize it much more quickly than I can if you want like a quick cheat sheet. But God initially says to him, he says the name Yahweh, but it's, I think I have a slide of this. Do I have that up? We should have some slides with the names of God on it, I think. Yeah, he says, Eyah. God says, my name is Eyah. I will be. And then he, and you could just imagine Moses was like, all right, that's complicated. And so God says, but tell them this is my name. And so then we get Yahweh. He will be. What God just said to him is, Moses, this is my name. Moses, I'm self-existent. I'm self-starting. I'm self-sustaining. I'm immutable. I do not change. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8, summed this up beautifully when the author of Hebrews said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Moses being used to gods like Ra, the sun god. We're in a different league now. And so Moses, in a brief, brief moment in time, is introduced to the one who says, I am all that I need to be, I'm all I will ever be, and that's all you need to know. Now, when you see this word, let's go to, I think we've got one more here. When you see this word, Yahweh, it's used 650, uh, or over 6,500, I'm sorry, there's an extra zero there. It's used over 650 times in the Old Testament. Let's go to the next slide. And here's what it started off as. It started off with Yahweh, and then it changed, and it became the Tetragrammaton, the Tetragrammaton, and the Tetragrammaton is YHWH. And the reason the Hebrews put YHWH is because they said, if it took this long for God to introduce himself, and it took God to introduce himself in a fire, and it took God telling Moses, take your shoes off and don't come any closer, then we ought to be real careful with this name. If God in Exodus 20 in one of the top 10 says, don't take my name in vain, they were like, you know what? We got it. We will not mess up this. And so they said, let's just take the, let's take the, some of the sounds out and we'll make it YHWH. But no one even dared to say YHWH. So you drop down and they came up with the word Adonai. They said, we'll call him Adonai. Adonai is a non-word. They just made it up and said, we're going to call him Adonai. And then some of them said, ah, I know what we can do. We can drop in the AOA in 
in between the YHWH, and we'll call it Yahuwah, Yahuwah. And so Yahuwah was written in tons of manuscripts. And so a lot of Bibles had the word Yahuwah. People who didn't know Hebrew started reading Yahuwah, and they started saying Yahovah, 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 Jehovah. Let's call him Jehovah. And so some of you have the word Jehovah in your Bible, and it's wrong. The word Jehovah is actually Yahweh. That's also a non-word. It's okay. You don't have to, like, scribble it out. But just so you know, the best way people decided to translate it was they put it Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals. The name of God is such a big deal. What I'm telling you is people have wrestled over how best to say it reverently for almost 4,000 years. And so, side note, we're not in Exodus 20. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. My advice Respect the name. He's way better at defending it than anybody else. Now, we press on. So, God introduces. God introduces himself. Before he introduces himself, he invites. Before he invites, he approaches or he ambushes. So, God approached. He invited. He introduced. And then, verses 16 through 22, God promises and God is always going to promise. You can take it to the bank. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter to you. You can go read it for yourself. But the whole rest of the chapter is God giving one promise after another promise after another promise. And you know what? He knew Moses was going to fail. He knew the Israelites would fail, but he knows he doesn't fail. And so when God says it's going to work, take it to the bank, it's going to work. But let's back up. I just want to ask you the question. Did you see in the first few verses, did you see Genesis chapter 3? The first few verses are the Eden story. And it's like super clear. So what's the Eden story? There's two trees. One tree is a tree that gives life. Adam and Eve can eat freely from a tree that gives life. There's another tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which gave them the ability to decide what was right and what was wrong. And you see where that's led us. The tree of life in Genesis chapter 3 is then guarded. How is the tree guarded? It's guarded by fire. So the tree in Genesis chapter 3, the tree of life, is guarded by fire. And what happens? Adam and Eve are driven out to the east. So Adam and Eve are driven out to the east, away from this tree of life that's guarded by fire. What is God doing in Exodus 3? He's making a second Eden. What happens? There's a tree. Who's in the tree? God. Who's the giver of life? God. It's a tree of life with fire, like it couldn't be more clear. Like, oh, we have Eden part two happening here. There's a tree of life, because God is life. God is in the tree. This thing is consumed by fire. If Moses had known his Old Testament, and by the way, he wrote Genesis later, so he got a full like study on it. I think this is written the way it's written to tell you what, what is God doing? He's bringing people back to life. What's he doing with the Egyptians? He's getting them out of bondage. What's bondage? That's slavery. It's not life. He is freeing them and bringing them to life. That's what this is all about. 
So in Genesis 1, God drives them out of the east. In, Exodus, or in, Exodus, in Genesis 3, God drives them out to the east. In Exodus 3, God calls Moses from the west. Moses is heading back. That's why the directions are included. The author, Moses, wants you to know, I'm retracing the steps of Eden. God is calling me back. He's calling all of us back. It's really, really crazy that it seems like in Genesis 3 and in Exodus 3, the way that Moses writes, God wants to meet with us under a tree. And if you don't believe me, let's fast forward to the end of each one of the Gospels because there's a third tree. And on that tree, the bread of life, the water of life is hanging on that tree. What did Jesus say? He even said things like, eat of me. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He wants us to be a part of the tree. In Genesis, God wants to meet with us under a tree and we rebel. In Exodus 3, God wants to meet with Moses under a tree to bring deliverance. And in all of the Gospels, at the end of each one, God is hanging on a tree. He wants to meet with us under a tree. Do you know how the Bible ends? The Bible ends in the book of Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The Bible is a book between two trees a tree that we forsake and we're driven out of, and then all these little trees that lead to a big one on Calvary where God is inviting us to meet with him under the tree. And then the book ends with this tree of life in the garden. It's from Eden to Eden. And God is con constantly beckoning us, saying, I want to meet with you under the tree. I want you to have life. Here's the problem. God is so gracious to want to meet with us. He's so gracious to love us. God is so gracious to die for us. And the real Christians, as Brennan Manning would say, the real Christians, when asked by God, did you believe that I loved you? Are going to say, yes, I did. And I adjusted my life in order to try to say thank you. If you have ever been ambushed by God, it is time to quit walking in circles. Your life should not look like it used to look. Hear me on this. When Moses met God in Exodus 3, he was not a perfect man, but his life was never the same. When the disciples met Jesus on the beach, they were not perfect men, but their lives were never the same. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was never the same. 
as a 17-year-old kid at a church camp in North Georgia slash Chattanooga when I was sitting there wearing my youth pastor's giant 4XL Hawaiian shirt that I stole from his room thinking I was the cool youth group kid. And the, the guy on the last night of camp says, bow your heads and pray. And in that moment, I was ambushed by God. I just thought I was there to have fun and make friends and, my, and meet some girls. I have not been a perfect person, but ever since that night when I met Jesus Christ, my life has never been the same. And if you would say that God has met you and invited you and introduced himself to you and shown you promises, you've met with him under that tree of Calvary, then your life should never be the same. And if you are walking in circles and you keep having these encounters with the Lord over and over and over again, and then you go back and do the same thing, you should have warning lights go on off all over the place right now because a person who is really ambushed by God is never the same. You may have times of sin and times of backsliding, but overall, you ought to be a stock that is gaining in value over all the time. Like your life should be getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the Lord. The Bible is full of that language. If you don't believe me, read 1 John. The whole book basically says the longer you live walking with Christ, the less you ought to sin. Why? It's not because you're just better and better and more disciplined. It's because you're getting closer and closer to the Lord. And he's refining you more and more and more, and he's doing a work in your life. And I'm burdened for some of you because I hear stories, and I don't go looking for them. But some of you would say that you've met the Lord and he's met you under that tree, the tree on Calvary, the cross, and you've been saved and you've been redeemed. But I look at your life and I'm like, I don't know. This is serious. And the more we see Moses' life, his encounters with God are serious. And so I think it's time to do a little bit of soul searching here. I would say it's time to stop walking in circles. And as the band comes up and we get ready to sing the last couple of songs, I just want to remind you of a couple of verses that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It's a story with Abraham's life. It was a city that was so vile, so, so sinful, that God actually destroyed the city with hail and, and, uh, and fire, like the, the, the city just got annihilated. So Jesus, fast forward to when he was around, he did a whole bunch of miracles in his two hometowns, like his, two, like his hometown of the town right next door, and they didn't believe. And you know what Jesus said? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment than it will be for you. Why? Those people had experienced him over and over and over and over again. They acknowledged Jesus with their lips and they denied him by their lives. Let me pray for us. Father, when Moses 
was encountered by you, when he was approached by you. Lord, he was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but you changed him in that moment, God. Lord, I really believe tonight we read Moses' conversion story. He certainly wasn't perfect after that, but he was changed. Lord, I just ask that you would change us that our lives would match the story that we tell if we tell that we've met you under the tree of Calvary. I thank you that you call us in to meet with you. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you die for us. Lord, if we've really encountered you, give us the grace in your power to live a life that acknowledges you. Father, would you help us just to re-up, recommit, pour our hearts out to you and not walk in circles, but instead join you in what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Hey, as well.